0: Welcome to From Duck Till Dark Outside the Marvel Studios. An audio celebration of the films based on Marvel Comics characters released before and during the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Enough said. Facefront True Believers. This is George Soroy, and welcome to the latest episode of From Duck Till Dark outside the Marvel Studios, a celebration of all of the Marvel movies that were released in theaters before and during the run of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And tonight's episode is one that I've been anxious to talk about for quite a while because there was a lot that was going on behind the scenes, and there were a whole lot of interesting choices that made it on the screen. And that would be the 2007 Sam Raimi film, Spider-Man 3. Now, a lot of you obviously have uh, some very strong opinions about this one, and I can definitely understand why. Back Back when this film was about to be released, actually, like, about the year or so, like, before it was released, we were... We were given some amazing promotional materials. We were given a truly iconic poster of Spider-Man in the black suit, his head down on a rainy on, with rain pouring down on him, perched up on top of a church. Now, those who understand the the, the comics, those who have, are familiar with the character and the history and everything, know that that is the moment when Peter will try to get the suit off and is able to succeed thanks to the church bells that are going on. And so wonderfully pivotal moment and it's it was it was rightfully put in to the teaser trailer and the trailer that fo- the main trailer that followed there was a whole lot that was going into this but it turns out that this was a character that Sam Raimi did not want to cover. He did this strictly because Avi Arad, the producer of the film, was really pushing him to concentrate on Venom, and while Sam, while Sam wanted to focus on Sandman. And and obviously, he's got the history with Sandman. He was, Sandman was, uh, was a character that came around in the 60s, so he was familiar with that character. Meanwhile, Venom was someone who came about in the 80s and Sam was not familiar with him and therefore didn't really have any sort of real attachment to him and wasn't 100% locked into that character. And unfortunately, it shows in in the movie. But it was it was a def- it was definitely an interesting effort to get him up there because, I mean, at the end of the day, you want to give the audience what they want. And Avi was right in that sense that this is the time to bring out Venom. Unfortunately, Sam just wasn't wasn't a big fan. And because of that, it it suffers. The whole movie, like, unfortunately suffers. And so what we got instead was a lot of venom kind of pushed to the back they didn't even they didn't even show peter actually getting the symbiote suit put on him or the symbiote suit actually like attaching itself to him until almost an hour into the movie and by then we had gotten quite a bit of drama that was going on and it seemed like it was very much like an afterthought for sam it, he was definitely playing it like it was an obligation. And you can see that in the moment where where Peter Parker and Mary Jane Watson are in the park, enjoying the time that they have together, stretched out onto a web, and right next to them, a little meteorite crashes. And obviously, it's definitely like an homage to The Blob, the original 1958 film. But it's not like audiences these days are really going to pick that up. Um, Instead, it just looked like a plot device falling out of the sky. And that's really what it was, especially the fact that it fell right next to Peter and he didn't notice it. It Spider sense and all. He did not notice this little asteroid just plopping down right next to him, attaching itself to him and then attaching itself to his, his stuff and then letting Peter just drive off with it. So... That part of it was very disappointing. And it was one of many different disappointing decisions that were made. And I actually have to give this movie credit because back when I was writing for 411 Mania, I was doing the what, I, what the, was called the UBS Evening News. That was my take on the Thursday movies and TV slot. I was given the go-ahead to go ahead and take that slot and do whatever I wanted with it. And so I used the format of the UBS Evening News from Network, one of my favorite movies, and was able to put in little the headlines for each segment that were based on the elements from the from the movie. And right at the very end, I saved this whole ranting section called Mad Prophet of the Airwaves. And that was when I could talk about whatever was on my mind. And I had carte blanche. I can basically let it all out. And it gave me an idea to come up with a little segment that I called rewriting mystery, as in not history, just a miss in history. And what I did was I basically assigned myself to be the quality control consultant for for a studio and in this case it to be in columbia pictures because that was where the spider-man franchise was and i set myself up as someone who was giving one last set of notes to the director before shooting begins so it was A matter of like, we understand that the budget is locked in. We understand that uh, you have your actors already set in place. You understand that you are all set to start shooting. So I'm not about to completely change the whole damn thing around here. But what I am going to do is I'm going to suggest little things along the way that I hope will boost the overall quality of the script. Because for me, with Spider-Man 3, it needed one more draft, maybe two. And then it can iron out all of its issues and it can tell a much more cohesive story. So the first thing that I said in there was do not have the symbiote suit just drop in an asteroid. You already have a plot element that you can use. And that plot element is John Jameson, the man that Mary Jane was going to marry, J. Jordan Jameson's son, first man to play football on the moon, they said in Spider-Man 2. So why not have Peter be the photographer on duty to to take his camera and maybe even Mary Jane to this exhibit that has all these different artifacts that John Jameson was able to bring back from the moon. And one of them being this weird black liquid that is suddenly it's very attracted to Peter, finds a way to somehow get out of its casing and attaches itself to Peter's belongings and then going on from there that to me creates a much more active role and something that something that that allows allows things to be not so not so coincidental which is one thing I can't stand and so I said that definitely keep the whole animosity between Harry and, and Peter it's it's going very well I was even into the whole amnesia element. Now, granted, I wasn't at first, but it was when I found out that the amnesia element is actually something from the comics. It's something that Harry deals with and on. I, I was much more forgiving. I was like, well, if they're going to take something from the comics and that's in the comics, why not? So I bought that. I was fine. Then you have Flint Marco, AKA the Sandman, um, in the finished film he is running away from from police after breaking out of prison and he falls into this into this random pit that is supervised by a bunch of 90210 looking kids scientists that are doing this demolecularization thing and they basically he winds up basically being stripped of of his molecules and just reduced to nothing and that did not sit well with me. It's again, it is it's it's coincidental. It he just happens to fall into this thing and that all of a sudden gives him these kinds of powers. So what I suggested as the quality control consultant was that Flint is still in prison, he hasn't broken out and he is being offered a chance to be a guinea pig for this experiment. And if he does it, if he goes through with it, then His family will be set for life. His kid will have the money for the medication that she needs to hopefully get better. And so he does it. And it's during the experiment, that's when we find out that the warden is going to renege on his promise and the kid's not going to get any money. So Sandman's going to remember that. And it's his will to... To go at, to go out and act on behalf of his daughter—that's what wills him to come back into one piece again. Then you scrap the whole idea of him being the "quote unquote" real person that killed Uncle Ben, because then you're you're kneecapping the main thing that keeps Spider-Man going—that feeling of guilt. So. Keep that going, because you don't want him to go through all this and only to be told, oh, well, nothing. You weren't going to be able to stop it from happening anyway. So and granted, at the very end, when they were talking about it and everything and Flint was stating his case, um, Peter still could have done something to stop it. But at the same time, it was just like it was so so contrived that it just it did not work it was so much extra jumping through hoops that was not needed it needed to be as plain and simple as possible peter had a chance to stop a criminal he did not that inaction caused a loved one of his to be killed boom there you go you do not need that extra this is the man who killed your uncle so that was a real letdown so i would take that away but instead of Peter wanting revenge for the death of Uncle Ben against the Sandman. Instead, you take that whole section that has to do with that that crane that put Gwen Stacy in danger. And which was really stupid anyway, because that's again, it just happened to have caused this problem. Just one thing after another. It's just so damn contrived. Like, I mean, just thinking about it right now it just really pisses me off because it didn't have to be this way. And so, I would say instead of that, you have Sandman causing a ruckus, which leads to that crane, which puts Gwen Stacy in danger, but it also leads to a big moment where where one of the where one of the cops pulls his gun on Flint the Sandman, and the bullet winds up going through him and it hits, wait for it, Captain Stacy. Remember, James Cromwell is in this for like a few scenes just to be Captain Stacy and they do nothing with him. Meanwhile, in the comics, Captain Stacy dies. And we later see in The Amazing Spider-Man about five years later that, yeah, Captain Stacy dies. So why not keep that going? So Captain Stacy, yeah, he dies. And Gwen gets to see that, and it's her desire for revenge that that gets the black-suited Spider-Man really keyed up and wanting to act on her behalf. Because all of a sudden, Gwen is paying attention to him, to Peter, at a time when Mary Jane is not. And so you have that back and forth there. And so now you're actually doing something with Gwen Stacy and you're doing something with Mary Jane and you're doing something with Peter. Everyone is being active in this whole back and forth. So you have Peter as Spider-Man, as black suited Spider-Man being extra aggressive and that could lead to showing a montage that's similar to the first film. Remember, this is supposed to be the end of a trilogy as far as we know. So why not play up to that? Why not have elements that that work as a, a callback to that first film. You can bring Jim Norton back where all the different people are complaining about how how violent he's been and how he's acting like more like a criminal instead of the, the hero. And you can have a moment where Jim is just like, he still stinks and I still don't like him. Just something like that. Bring him back as a surly truck driver, which is fantastic. And then you you keep that moment where uh, you definitely keep the moment where peter and harry have their fight like their two fights are fantastic i thought those are major highlights of the film keep those as they are especially that second one because you need peter to be that that cruel to harry be the bully and yeah he he pulled it off really well and he needs to continue that um I wouldn't do so much with the dancing, but but I would still have some fun with it. Have some show him being that extra aggressive kind of character and definitely have him somehow striking Mary Jane as the moment that makes him wake up and realize what he's been doing. And then you have then you have the moment later on in the film where you have where you have Mary Jane being kidnapped by Eddie Brock instead that should be Gwen Stacy because Eddie claims to have that connection with her anyway so why not put her in danger and have Mary Jane kind of watching from a distance worried obviously about everything that's going on because when it comes down to it the way Mary Jane is handled in this one Once she's saved, then that's pretty much it. So put Gwen Stacy in a situation where she just might get killed the way that she does in the comics. Have a moment where Venom is the one to do it. And that kind of like maybe that can wake Eddie Brock up a little bit to realize what he's done. And... All of a sudden, you have that element. Now, all of a sudden, he wants to get rid of get rid of venom, and but then at the same time, you have you still have the Harry Osborne element of Harry coming in. But here's the thing: one of the things that really, really upset me in the when it gets when it gets to the climax was how the Harry's Butler out of nowhere just says like I dressed your father's wounds. He died by his by his own glider. You should definitely pepper in moments throughout there where the butler is trying to say that to Harry and Harry just keeps on cutting him off or raising the divider in the limousine or whatever. Just something that shows that he wants to say it and he tries to say it, but he just can't. And then finally he just does it. So that way you have something that's there, that's already there. And it's not just sprung up out of nowhere and that shakes like Harry up that would that would get harry into action the fact that he finally listens to the man that's been trying to reach him for so long and then all of a sudden that gets his that gets the gears turning and that gets him moving over to assist peter i definitely like the fact that he dies in and in, while saving him and i liked how the very end of venom was handled so it, there's a lot that I, that I enjoyed in this, but I also feel like this really could have been something really great. All it needed was just a couple more rewrites. And I would really like to hear your thoughts about Spider-Man 3. It's a very controversial film in which it was the lowest rated, the worst reviewed of all of them, but yet it wound up making the most money. So Avi Arad was right when, it, when he said it's time to bring in Venom. It's just a shame that we had someone who wasn't a fan making it happen when there were so many other people that could. So I'm interested in hearing your feedback. Just please go ahead and check me out on my Facebook page at facebook.com slash fromducktilldark. And until next time, this is George Sorori saying to all of you, Ever Upward and Excelsior.